From the Georgia Southern Sports Network, powered by Learfield, this is Inside Eagle Nation, the official podcast of Georgia Southern Athletics. Strike three called, it is well with my soul at J.I. Clement Stadium. Your all-access look into Eagle Athletics is Inside Eagle Nation. Doogie with one, a three, and a win it! Got it! Game over! to the Learfield Studios. Here are your hosts, Colin Lacey and Danny Reed. Welcome into another edition of Inside Eagle Nation, your official podcast for Georgia Southern Athletics, episode number 80, Danny Reed. I don't know if that's a milestone, but it sure feels like it. It's a milestone for us. That's right. It's going to be one of those where we start counting every five. 85, we're here. <laughs> 90, baby. You don't even want to know what we've got planned for the 100th. It's so good, we don't even know what we've got planned for yet. You're exactly right. We're 20 away. We're trying to get to 81. <laughs> Colin Lacey alongside the voice of the Eagles, Danny Reed, and as always, Inside Eagle Nation is presented by our good friends at Arcola Septic. Arcola Septic is your premier septic services provider to Bullock, Bryan, and adjoining counties, and a great family-owned business that's run by a pair of Georgia Southern alumni. Make sure to give them a call, 912-318-7939. Or visit them online at rcolaseptic.com. For both commercial and residential customers, their more than 10 years of experience can help you out with pumping and servicing your septic system, drain field repairs, new system installation, and all of your septic needs. Remember to follow them on Facebook, Arcola Septic, yesterday's Meals on Wheels. Now, we talked last week how it was Southern Knot State Part 2 for men's basketball. Y'all went up to the third floor and did a thing. This is where you want to start? No. I, it's a little tease. Yeah, we did a thing. We, yeah. we, we did we did a thing. It was fun. <laughs> and you was a little excited about it, too. A little bit. I still am. <laughs> we start out with Georgia Southern Men's Golf, as they will be at the Colleton River Collegiate. They'll finish that up in Beaufort, South Carolina today. Finished up day one yesterday. Day two will round out things, if you're listening to this on time, on Tuesday, here in just a couple of hours. They will also have, in a couple of weeks, March 13th through the 15th, the annual Schenkel Invitational over at the Forest Heights Country Club, which is always one of the better golf tournaments in the country in college golf, and it's right here in the borough. Long history, media day for it. You get some of the best teams everywhere. I think a couple of years ago when Georgia Southern had to rally in the final two days for a dramatic victory, Mark Janak and I talk a lot about the Schenkel because he is the media contact for it, and I see him put together everything in the really the months leading up to it because it takes that much work to pull this thing off but it is one of the best things that georgia southern athletics does georgia southern men's tennis was supposed to have two matches this past week but only got one in as they fell seven to nothing to south florida on saturday over at the wallace tennis center on sunday was supposed to face off against unc wilmington that one was postponed as they will be on the road for the only match this week at winthrop coming up on sunday Women's tennis, a good start to the season at 6-3 and three so far on the year. They split the weekend as they fell 7 to nothing down in Jacksonville against North Florida on Friday. And then on Sunday, it was a 4-3 to three victory for Georgia Southern at Mercer up in Macon. They will have three matches at home this weekend. Saturday against the College of Charleston, they will make up the UNC Wilmington match at home on Sunday starting at 10 a.m. And then they will host ABAC at 2 p.m. at the Wallace Tennis Center just outside of Hanner Fieldhouse. Georgia Southern Rifle will also host a pretty big event this weekend as the SOCON Championships over at the Shooting Sports Education Center. That a two-day event on Saturday and Sunday just across campus. Georgia Southern softball, you want to talk about a busy week. They were all over the place, two different states and six games over the past week as they fell against South Carolina, who is ranked number 16 in the country. Fell 5-3. to three. They had two-run score in the seventh inning to make it 5-3. to three. They had two runners on, so the tying run on the go-ahead run at the plate but just came up just short against South Carolina 5-3 to in the midweek. But then headed over to the Auburn Tiger Invitational on Friday. They got the victory 8-2 to over Binghamton, and that was Kim Dean's 100th career coaching win. We had brought that up on the previous week's edition of Blue White Weekly, which you can watch each Wednesday at 6.30 on Fox Sports Southeast. Nice milestone for her. Real nice milestone. And it seems like she's been here for a lot longer than just two years plus. 
just because of all the good that the individual accomplishments have been. They're off to a really good start this year. I know it was kind of a rough weekend that we'll get to a little bit more, but some encouraging things nearly taking down South Carolina, and as we're going to find out, they performed really well against Auburn. Had the second game of the day on Friday against the Auburn Tigers. That one goes nine innings. Again, regulation softball is seven, but fell in extra innings against the Auburn Tigers, five to four. They were up by one in the seventh inning with two outs. A solo home run by the Auburn Tigers forced it to extra innings. And then the Tigers got the five to four victory in the last game of the day on Friday. On Saturday, they took on number 18, Minnesota, fell in that ball game in six innings. 14 to 3 in a run rule game. Then Binghamton on Saturday as well fell 2 to 1, a final in 8 innings, so another extra inning contest for head coach Kim Dean and company. And then on Sunday fell 6 nothing to the Auburn Tigers. So, a tough weekend for Georgia Southern softball, but a lot like we talked with Georgia Southern baseball, with Georgia Southern men's basketball as well, playing a lot of really good teams in the non-conference to get you ready for what is a pretty stacked Sunbelt Conference. You know, we speak about baseball being the sport of, okay, whether you're good or bad on one day, you come back and you do it again the next day. Well, oftentimes for softball, you come back and do it again in about 20 minutes. Yeah. And you got to do that a lot more than sports probably should be expected to do that's just how softball is built they're gonna have more than enough time to rebound and we know they've been off to such a great start they've been powering the ball out of the yard faith shirley's off to a great start makai freeman's off to a great start and on the mound with riley waldrop performing well stepping in as that number one starter they were leading the nation in era going into last week yep. and that was one that kind of got lost in the midst of that eight and two ten and four start you can hit all the time, but if you can't pitch, it's going to be very difficult to win, as Radford found out on Sunday over at J.I. Clement Stadium. Softball will host the Boston College squad coming in on Wednesday, 6 o'clock, the first pitch over at Eagle Field. Can't say Eagles. No, you can't. Can't say Eagles that day. Well, I mean, you could, and you'd be right, but you'd also be wrong. Depending on if you're one of those half-empty, half-full kind of people. Sounds like I'm hearing the Billy Joel song. I know you may be wrong, but I know you may be right. True. It's just... <laughs> they will face off against ULM to start Sunbelt Conference play as they host the Warhawks. 6 o'clock on Friday, 2 o'clock the first pitch on Saturday, and then 12.30 coming up on Sunday afternoon. Georgia Southern women's basketball was on the road in Texas in the Lone Star State. Started it off against the Texas State Bobcats, fell 72-68. Then moved on to the UT Arlington Mavericks, where they fell 101-73. That was a game that UT Arlington pretty much did whatever they wanted to on the offensive side. It started off where they hit more threes than they ever thought about hitting in a ball game. <laughs> then, when Georgia Southern took away the three, they would take two dribbles inside the arc and make mid-range jumpers, and it seemed like every shot they put up fell as they were only two points shy of a UT Arlington scoring record. The record was 103. They scored 101. It's the most points that they had scored in like 13 years, I believe it was. Oh, my. But a heck of a showing by the UT Arlington Mavericks, who are still trying to wiggle their way into one of those top two spots in the Sunbelt Conference. All right, I've got a question for you. Okay. Georgia Southern plays in a lot of these school day games, and we've covered that more than enough on these podcasts. Correct. The school day game was against Texas State to start the trip. Correct. Do you notice anything different about the team when it's the game after the school day? Because technically, yeah, their hearing's kind of off. Well, my, minor league baseball can relate to that. <laughs> I mean, typically, there's more time because those are earlier games, and you're not playing in the next game that weekend until yeah, maybe later in the afternoon, sometimes later in the evening. But is there anything noticed in that game after a school day game that sticks out? I don't know. This one was a little bit different from the fact that. We made the bus trip from San Marcos to Arlington after the game because it's 12.30 tip-off, 11.30 tip-off Central Time. So we got to Arlington about 6 o'clock. And this is still two days before you're even playing. Correct. Okay. And so, but then the practice schedule, normally you would sleep in on that Friday a little bit and then practice sometime that afternoon. Georgia Southern couldn't do that because the College Park Center was hosting the UT Arlington and Texas State men's basketball game which you're that Friday weave, night. Which you're going to weave in here in a second. Oh yeah, we will. <laughs> and so women's basketball had to practice at 9 a.m. So it was an early rise and shine for a two-hour practice. Then go back to the hotel, get off your feet a little bit that afternoon, that evening. And then you turn around and get back to the College Park Center a little bit earlier. Got there about 11.30 for the 2 o'clock central tip-off. But just a 
odd week scheduling. We talked about how Georgia Southern women's basketball went out on Tuesday morning, got two practices in in Australian Arena before you even play the kids' day game. So it was, the schedule seemed to be off all week. Have you gotten used to it without the wall? I know it's been two years, but have you gotten used to it? I haven't. I also haven't gotten used to the fact that they have four tables courtside, three of them don't get used, and we're upstairs. <laughs> yeah, don't think I haven't brought that up before. Like, you've got the great ESPN Plus crew of Brant Freeman and Suzanne Fox doing the ESPN Plus call on but they one are, side. Well, they are as far to the right of that table right. as you could possibly be. So there's three other pretty large courtside tables that take up the rest of that near sideline because we're second level at Texas State just like we are at Little Rock. But Little Rock, they changed it up, so now it's just that smaller internet broadcast table that sits courtside with all the other chairs for people that pay to sit courtside. But I sit there wondering, okay, there's all these tables. Who are they waiting for to sit there? That's what I say. I, I don't know who those seats are reserved for, but it would be nice to be able to reach out and say, hey, I'm courtside, or not have to call the game from altitude. I mean, we, I did on Friday anyway from the third floor, but that's a whole lot of the story. Yeah, I don't know who they're waiting for them to show up, but they hadn't shown up in about four years. And we've given Brad and Bill heck about this for the last couple of years. And they, oh, yeah. They, they take it in stride. I think they, they feel it the same way. Got to see our good buddy Bill Colhane <coughs> call the UT Arlington Texas State men's game. Josh Sowers, who <laughs> – poor Josh – Josh had a busy day on Friday. Yeah. He had a yeah, 3 o'clock first pitch for baseball. Then it was an 8 o'clock tip-off for UTA and Texas State on the men's side in the College Park Center. And that one was a thing, too. It went to three overtimes. UT Arlington was trailing by five with about a minute and a half to go in regulation. Had a huge three, and that place went nuts it was an espn2 game and so that place it was the fullest i had seen that place outside of a kids game obviously that's right you've done a kids day game there too yeah three of them Ugh. just there oh yeah oh wow we, the last three years we were there kids day and they packed six thousand in there and you've done texas state and you've done little rock yeah we've made the whole tour okay but that may have been the best basketball atmosphere that i have seen in a long long time at texas state ut arlington Good. but texas state got the victory again after three overtimes it lasted until about mm, 11 11 30 at night we almost got home from atlanta by the time the game ended because <laughs> we were watching on the bus and with every miss and make and turnover we were just turning thinking okay if texas state would have lost then georgia southern would have been tied for second place because of the result that we'll get to this is as big of a tease as i think we've ever done for anything <laughs> on a podcast before but that was an amazing game i can't imagine what it took for each of those teams to perform as well as they did for as long as they did bill told me that nigel pearson played 53 out of 55 minutes yeah and they've got to get ready for a big one tonight against South Alabama where the winner of that game clinches the number two seed. But I was talking Ansley Bates, the strength and conditioning coach for women's basketball, along with Haley Carter, the great director of basketball operations, and then a couple of my friends, Charlie Campbell and Kate Campbell, came to the game with us. And I didn't know Charlie came. Oh, yeah. How about that? He said, hey. Hello, Charlie. But he's, he's a good boy. We were talking about it on our way back to the hotel that None of us really cared whatsoever who won that game. But we were so emotionally invested. When we got back to the hotel, we were exhausted. <laughs> Just imagine if you were calling it. I know, right? No thanks. I went down between the, I think it was the second and third overtime. Anthony and I had ran to the media room to grab some water. I came and brought Josh and Bill one, and I just gave Josh a hug because he looked like he was about to fall asleep. Yeah, he was in that suit for a long time. That beautiful royal blue and orange suit. He had to call the baseball game in a suit because he didn't know if there was going to be enough time by the time he got over to the College Park Center, if he'd have enough time to get a get an oil change or, or get a wardrobe <laughs> change or whatever you want to call it, get into some made, I don't know, you know what I mean. Josh and Ansley <coughs> kind of connected a little bit as they met for the first time on Friday because Ansley always we've talked about Ansley's socks how she always has the crazy socks Josh had 
some crazy socks on too. And Josh is our wardrobe guy. Yeah, no doubt. If you've seen him on social media, we only get pictures with him every so often because we're only playing him here and there. He's our wardrobe guy. We say Barry McKnight for Troy is by far the most debonair in this league. But Josh is our crazy wardrobe guy. Barry is the only one that I think could pull off a three-piece suit. Oh, yeah. We should do that one week where we do Sunbelt Broadcaster Superlatives. You know, like you do in high school, you vote for most spirited or most likely to go to jail. I know who wins that one. But, oh, I do too. Yeah. <laughs> we need to do broadcaster superlatives. I'm really scared the direction that that's going to go. <laughs> I'm kind of excited for it. Because I know I'm already going to win shortest. <laughs> you win most likely to talk in someone else's voice. <laughs> okay, I can deal with that one. <laughs> I can deal with that one. And then we could have you... Do the different voices of the voices around the league of them doing their acceptance speech. <laughs> oh, this is going to turn into a thing. Anyway. This isn't going to be like the True Blue Eagle of the week. This is going to be a once-over deal, but yeah. we, we there, this might have some legs, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that later on. <laughs> but on Friday night, up on the third floor, you push the three button in the elevator. You ride that oh. bad boy up to the third. Whether you push the three button on the elevator or you're seeing the third floor sign going up those stairs, that's when it sinks in that this is a Division One basketball facility. And then Georgia Southern knocks off the Georgia State Panthers by a final score of 79-70, to 70, the first time in 28 years that Georgia Southern had gotten a victory up on Decatur Street. We know they hadn't played for a span of 11 years from 97 through 08. It had been nine straight times. There had been a lot of close calls, overtime in 16, tied with four minutes left last year. But this game, Georgia Southern never trailed. Got out 9-0, and as close as State got, they had it at one in the first half a few times with possession, never could score. In the second half, they had it down to two possessions a couple of times, never could score. And it's going to sound really cliche, but in the couple days leading into the game, it just felt different. I mean, we, we tried to make ourselves believe it, that it was different, that this was going to be the year and State wasn't going to be able to hold this over Georgia Southern's head anymore. And I'll bring up Mark Janak again because that's my room dog whenever we travel for <laughs> men's basketball and we have a lot of heart-to-hearts on the day of about what it's going to take to win a game, what's going to have to happen. And we were dead set on the fact that after the Eagles played as well as they did the Saturday before at Arlington, Defense locked them up one by 20. State did things a little bit differently on offense, leading the league in threes made and three-point percentage. But we sat there thinking, okay, if Georgia Southern defends again, they're going to win this game. State was a two-possession favorite going in. And while we were expecting Georgia Southern to deliver blow after blow on defense, they did it early on offense. They made four of their first five shots. They actually ended up starting 9 of 13. They built a 10-point lead. To me, though, the biggest play of the half happened with 37 seconds left. Georgia Southern was starting to build a little bit of a run. David Vitti, who only plays about 10 minutes per game, he's a Buford native, so not terribly far away from the sports arena, got an offensive rebound, put back, and won. And I tell you, he was so fired up. I've never seen that kind of emotion out of David Vitti. He's an excited guy, but I think he realized what he did in that moment. He got an and-one putback that helped build an eight-point halftime lead, and I think it was one of the bigger plays of the game that we didn't talk about a whole lot while it was going on. But then in the second half, it was another 9 nothing run. Georgia Southern had back-to-back breakaway dunks from Quan Jackson and Elijah McCadden. That built the 14-point lead. State had to call the timeout. And you know at the sports arena, when you turn around, that's where the Georgia Southern fans are sitting. So when you're calling the game, it's tough for you to know how many Eagle fans are there because they seat them behind you at press row. On the fourth floor, right. But looking around, they were all up at once because you could feel it was going to happen. It was finally going to happen. Then I look back at the bench, those players, they were they knew it was coming. And State got it back to single digits. But I don't believe there was ever any danger, despite what happened in the first game when State came back from 14 down and they won that and whatever. Those guys fully remembered that it was not going to happen again. 
but for the first time in nearly 30 years, they got that win up there, and it was just, okay, take this monkey off our back. It's finally done. We're able to win here. In the process, they're in full contention for maybe a number three seed. So it was a huge win, an emotional win in several ways, and I say this a lot, but this is a night that I'm never going to forget. You got to see a couple of our good friends up there, too. You had Jake yeah, Allsmiller, you had Sean awesome. O'Connell up there. That made it even better. Also saw Jelani Hewitt was in attendance. Curtis Diamond was there. Shine on you, Curtis Diamond. Absolutely. <laughs> a lot. Of, you always see, and a lot of them are because it's they're from the Atlanta area, yeah. but you always see a lot, a star-studded Eagle Nation crowd up in Atlanta. With Sean and Jake, Sean just finished up his eligibility last year at UNC Wilmington. Jake is currently a graduate assistant out at Belmont in Tennessee. Before the game, I saw out of the corner of my eye that Sean was walking toward me, and I had to do a, okay, I know who that is, because it's, I haven't seen him in two years. So I gave him a hug, and I said, where's Jake at? Because if one's somewhere, the other is right. not too far away. So apparently Jake had walked by the table, and I about gave him you-know-what for it, but the, the, he, he maybe five feet away, because I didn't realize he was back there. He said, Jake, Jake. I turned around. There's Jake. <laughs> and you know that I've brought it up on here. Jake is one of my all-time favorites. The senior day against Troy when he made eight threes, the post game, never, ever going to forget that. Caught up with them for a little bit, saw him a little bit more after the game, but they had to go back. If there was one part of that night that could have been better, it was getting a chance to see those two because they were part of some of those teams that were so close up there. But they were there to see a victory because we waited so long for it, and now we finally have it. Again, a final score, 79-70 to over the Georgia State Panthers. One game remaining in the regular season for Georgia Southern men's basketball. It comes tonight, if you're listening to this on time, against the Arkansas State Red Wolves inside Hander Fieldhouse. We will dive into that matchup in our final segment of this week's edition of Inside Eagle Nation. But Georgia Southern baseball got a series victory over the Radford Highlanders to get back to 500 on the season. They end the weekend 5-5. Five and five. But it started off on Friday evening as Jordan Jackson was pretty phenomenal again. Six innings of shutout baseball leading to an 8 nothing victory for Georgia Southern over Radford. Well, really it started by not playing Mercer. Because we tried on Tuesday, we tried on Wednesday, <laughs> but the rain said no. So now we're going to play that game in April on a Monday after the Easter holiday. So we're going to have to do some research and try to find the last time where Georgia Southern baseball played on a Monday. But the series against Radford went off without much of a hitch. Perfect way to start that series. A tone-setting victory. Eight runs, 11 hits. Jackson was great. And then Mason McCorder also tied a career high with four hits, including a couple of RBI doubles. And Mason had a heck of a weekend. Yeah, Finished the weekend 7 for 13, eight RBIs on the weekend. And we've talked about it the last couple of weeks. Moving up to that number two hole. and Don't know what it is, but he hits there. I don't know what it is. I leave him there till the Lord comes back. When he went there towards the end of last year, he hit almost 400 down the stretch. Georgia Southern got all the way to the championship. It was better because it was in Conway because he hits about 900 when games are played at Springbrook Stadium. But when he's in the two-hole, he is a different hitter. And while we're still waiting for Noah Ledford to come back from the broken foot, you'd like to see Mason 3-4 because with the power potential, it would seem that he's a better fit. But he just hits so well in the two spot, you can't take him out of there. Game number two on Saturday, Radford jumped out to a 4 nothing lead in the first inning as they sent nine to the plate, scoring four times in the first inning. But then Braden Hayes really settled down, ended up going six innings of four-run baseball, giving up just eight hits and striking out six over 86 pitches. But it was a 4 nothing lead for Radford after one. Georgia Southern would add two in the fifth inning, but really couldn't get anything going against probably three of the best arms for Radford. Yeah, they unloaded what they had to try to take one of the games that weekend, and we saw it the next day that they really had absolutely nothing left in terms of their pitching. And Georgia Southern scored two runs on three hits. It was all in the fifth inning. They didn't do anything else in the other eight innings. But even for Radford, after they jumped out for the four runs in the first, they had two hits after that. So this was a for the last eight innings or so, and not a whole lot was going on after Radford pretty much won the game over the first few batters. But then Georgia Southern made it right on Sunday, 
and man, oh man, did they make it right on Sunday. Yeah, you said that the other eight innings that Georgia Southern was at the plate outside of the fifth inning couldn't really get anything going. Well, they got a lot going on Sunday. A little bit. As 19-2, to the victory for Georgia Southern over the Radford Highlanders. It started with six runs in the bottom of the second inning. And pull the curtain back a little bit. I was flying back from our Texas swing. We got on the plane at about 11.30 Central. Okay. So it would be about 30 minutes away from first pitch here in Statesboro. Okay. By the time we landed, I pulled up stat broadcast. You were in the second inning. It was a two and a half hour flight. Yeah. Yeah, I remember bringing up the amount of time and how few innings we had played quite a bit. I'm rolling back into Statesboro in the fifth. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking I may be able to get there by the end of the game. You and I had talked the night before that I'll get there as quick as I can. I may be there by the 8th or ninth. I showed up in the 5th. Radford threw at least 40 pitches in an inning three times. They threw oh. 227 pitches in eight innings. There is only so many ways you can say that a ball is being pitched. And I think that we discovered them all on Sunday. Georgia Southern just kept hitting. We were about to break out a thesaurus. I don't even know where you'd get one now. <laughs> what website is that on? I don't know if you can buy at the source anymore. But a 19-2 victory against six runs in the bottom of the second inning for Georgia Southern. One in the third, four in the fourth, one in the fifth, seven in the seventh inning. That really capped it off at 19. If 12-2 wasn't enough, seven just said, okay. All right, here you go. Most runs in almost two years. Biggest margin of victory in six years. Since that 20-2 victory over Wofford back in 2014. The Wes Williams game. Yeah, the Wes Williams. The Wes Williams well, that game. That one wasn't the Wes Williams game. That one was a Wes Williams game. All right, we'll tell this story real fast. So Wes Williams was the bullpen catcher for Georgia Southern Baseball. Nobody really knew who he was. I mean, we know... Doug. We know Doug. But back then, the bullpen catcher, he wasn't around as much as Doug. And so he would be there on game days he would be there a couple of days a week during practice but he wasn't always around so Wes Williams comes into a game in Statesboro and everybody's scrambling around who's 23 <laughs> we look over at Barrett Gillum the great sports information director at the time and he gives us the two palms in the sky like oh and so Ryan Chambers is kind of freaking out a little bit because I've never known Ryan to do that. Yeah, right. Turn red, all that. <laughs> because we're looking at somebody at the plate for Georgia Southern, our team, and we ain't got a clue who this is. Yeah. Zero idea. Yeah. And so Barrett mm. calls down to Cassie, the athletic trainer at the time. He's like, who in the Lord's name is this? And she's like, oh, it's our bullpen catcher, Wes Williams. And I will never forget it. Barrett flies up the stairs of his booth, runs over to ours. Because you know as soon as you see him run, you know exactly where he's going. Right. He's not going to the bathroom. He's running down right. the, the whole booth. And about the time he hits the first <laughs> step of his booth, he has a RBI double to right field. We still at this point don't know who this guy is. Joe, Joe question mark just yeah. doubled down the right field. I think Ryan may have made up a name for him. Yeah, and so see that. Barrett runs into our booth, hands me a piece of paper that just says Wes Williams, and I'm like, "Excuse me, is this the guy that won a raffle? Do yeah, we I'm need like, to get him a hat or something?" Yeah, I'm like, "What are we doing?" And he goes, "That's who just hit." I was like, "Oh," so I handed it to Chambers. He goes, "Ah, his name was Wes Williams, two two." <laughs> but so we figured out who Wes Williams was. About two weeks later, Ryan and Chris Draper were at sales meetings in Learfield. So I was calling the Wofford series. First time I had ever called a baseball game for Georgia Southern. Barrett was with you, though. Barrett was with me. Okay. And we were crammed into the closet of Spartanburg. Yeah. How, he and I, how he and I both fit in there, I will never understand. Been there. But, and we're knocking the doors off of Wofford, which always feels great. And so, in about the seventh inning, the internet drops out. Because, of course. And it probably didn't help that we had to get 
ethernet from the main press area and run the ethernet cord through the window anyway ethernet drops out so i run out to the main press area it was because somebody had knocked the router and unplugged our cord so i plug it back in i get back into the booth throw the headset on as Wes Williams is coming to the plate. I'm like, well, here we go again. Wes Williams to the plate, and I will never forget it. It was a 2-1 count, and he parked it in Spartanburg. <laughs> so Wes Williams, he was our bullpen catcher. He had two at-bats. He was 2-for-2 two two with three RBIs. And now you know. There it is. Great moments in Eagle history. <laughs> I wonder what Wes Williams is doing now. I wonder if Richmond knows. I want to know the name the Chambers made up. Oh, Lord. probably two or three of them. He probably changed it with every pitch. He won't remember it, but no. if we asked him, he might make up a name just to say, yeah, ah, just, just, just to, just yeah. to make him happy. But I'd be curious if he would remember the name that he made up that day. Exactly. That's good stuff. But Georgia Southern baseball, again, 5-5 five and five on the season as a big week ahead. Five games coming up for Georgia Southern baseball as two coming against the number four team in the country in the Georgia Bulldogs. One coming up in Athens on Tuesday. If you're listening to this on time tonight, Terry Harvin and I will have the call on that one. And then at SRP Park, Danny Reed will be back. I'll be back in the dugout. All will be right with the world. We will be in Augusta for Georgia Southern and Georgia. I actually found out it's in North Augusta. Yeah, it's we're, in North Augusta. We're going to be we're South going to be Carolina. over the river, South Carolina. <laughs> Glenn Ingram and I went up to SRP Park a good bit this past baseball season. I still haven't out, been there, but I know you've been up there to help out with Ryland Corby, the broadcaster at the time for the Green Jackets. Mm-hmm. Glenn was up there taking pictures, and so SRP Park almost seems like a home away from home for Glenn and I. <laughs> but a beautiful ballpark. If you can at any way shape or form get to srp park for georgia southern and georgia i would highly highly suggest it so what we're going to do tomorrow we're going to find a good spot to eat on our way towards north augusta okay we're gonna go into north augusta okay we're gonna sit down at srp park okay the eagles are gonna beat the dogs and then we're gonna come back down we're gonna go to sleep okay that okay with you fine okay all right you want to go now? Well, I guess we can't go now. Yeah, I got to do basketball tonight. Yeah, we got to head out to Athens I, I, here in I, a little bit. I got to put my tie on. You got to go get Terry. And yeah, thankfully, I don't have to put a tie on. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best part of basketball season, kind of winding down. You're like, yay, no more ties. Anyway, but Georgia Southern will have a five-game week for baseball, two against Georgia, and then this weekend, Valpo will come into J.I. Clement Stadium for a three-game set on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We will look ahead at the week coming up for Georgia Southern Athletics as the as the busy time for the Georgia Southern Sports Network continues this week. But for now, we step aside for this week's True Blue Eagles of the Week. This week's True Blue Eagles of the Week, one of the greatest couples in Eagle Nation as <laughs> Regina Days Bryan and her husband Bill Bryan, two of the best Eagles that you are going to see. Miss Regina, a former Georgia Southern women's basketball standout, scored over 2,000 points in her career. Mr. Bill, one of the best bus drivers of all time, down with Kelly Tours and does a lot with Georgia Southern men's basketball and baseball especially, but two of the greatest people that you are going to meet. We're going to start with Regina because the two best players in the history of Georgia Southern women's basketball played at the same time in the mid to late 80s. It was Regina and Five Blake that took that program to unprecedented heights. Regina scored more than 2,000 and career points, second most in school history. She meant so much to that program, and now she means a lot to this place as an active alum. She is involved in so many different things. And then with Bill, if you're wondering how our teams get to where they do as quickly and as safely as they do, Bill is the reason why. He's always ready there to greet you with a smile. He'll talk to everybody. He'll talk to you for as long as you want to talk to him. But he loves Georgia Southern, and he's had a chance to see a lot of really good athletics. He was driving more than 20 years ago when – Georgia Southern football won those national championships under Paul Johnson. He's had a chance to take Eagle baseball and basketball the last couple of years as well, and somebody who's an unmistakable part of this program. One thing that I didn't really know about Miss Regina, and a lot of people don't, is after she played basketball here at Georgia Southern, she played one year of volleyball for Georgia Southern as well back in 1989. But she was a 1993 inductee to the Georgia Southern Athletics Hall of Fame. But two of the best people that you are going to meet in Eagle Nation, and a happy belated birthday to Mr. Bill Bryan.
Now, I wonder if that means we have to decorate the bus before we head to New Orleans, but I don't think we'll be taking the bus down there. Either way, Bill, happy birthday. We appreciate everything that you and Regina do. It's great to get a chance to see you guys and catch up with you guys. That's this week's True Blue Eagles of the Week, as Regina Days Bryant and Mr. Bill Bryant are this week's True Blue Eagles of the Week. Once again, the True Blue Eagles of the Week are Miss Regina Days Bryant and Mr. Bill Bryant, as we talked about two of the best people in Eagle Nation. I'm going to guess Bill had a happy birthday on Sunday. Yeah, I would say so. A 19-2 Eagle victory. I'm sure he'd pretty happy. Especially after the week before when the bus broke down on the way back from Greenville. Anything that wasn't that was probably an improvement. (laughs) (laughs) A couple of news notes to get to. Again, the NFL Combine going on this past week. Tyler Bass and Kendall Vildor, a big part of the Combine over the last couple of days. They spent a full week out in Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium and... They, they went through their combine, went through a lot of meetings and whatever you, else you do at the combine. Kendall was getting a lot of love over the weekend for his workouts. He may have made himself some money. Good. Here are his measurables from his workout. This is how he ranked among all defensive backs. 22 times on the bench, that's 225, Second best. He ran two versions of the 40. His first was a 4.56. His second was a 4.44. That's tied for seventh. Vertical was 39.5, tied for third. He was third in the three cone, fourth in the 20 yard shuttle. Pro Day in Statesboro is going to be on March the 13th, so he'll get one more opportunity, depending on how many teams actually come to Paulson Stadium to watch Kendall and whoever else is going to be working out that day. The thought going into 2019 was that Kendall could really increase his draft stock. And I think that we were hoping that, man, it'd be great to see him go in the third round. I just wonder if we don't hear him go earlier than that. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. We talked about it really throughout the entirety of the football season that a lot of the eyes the last couple of years have been on Monquavian Brinson and Kendall was kind of the secondary, secondary, if that makes any sense. Very nice. (laughs) Thanks. Very nice. But he really grew by leaps and bounds over this last year and continues to do so. You talked about all of his rankings in the combine, but I'd imagine that you see Kendall Vildor making some noise here in the next couple of months. 2018, when he had the interception against Clemson, nationally televised game, I think that was, oh, that guy for Southern, huh? Uh, He did not allow a catch that day in coverage. So even more so. And he got on the radar of the Senior Bowl, even though he had another year to go. And then Jim Nagy, he and Kendall met and decided that he was going to go to Mobile and play in the Senior Bowl, just like Tyler Bass did. As a defensive back, it's not always how many interceptions you have because if you're that good, you're probably not drawing a whole lot of throws your way. Kino only had one pick this year, and it was in the Cure Bowl against Liberty. Great time to have it. Another nationally televised game. Right. Everybody can watch it. But he spent the rest of the year being ignored. Yeah. I mean, there were... Okay, he had some penalties. He did give up some catches. You're not going to have a completely flawless year. It just doesn't happen. But for the most part... He wasn't getting thrown at. And now I think that he gets a chance to show those abilities to everybody that went to Indianapolis last week. I'm not going to be surprised if he isn't a second-round pick. I'd love that. I don't think that's a stretch to say that. But I would think that he is for sure going to go somewhere in the top three rounds. And how many times this last year especially did we see late in a ball game when you knew it was going to have to go to that team's best receiving option of course Kendall is going to be on their best receiving option how many times did you see a pass down the sideline and Kendall is right there to swat it away in meaningful meaningful minutes the thing that's going to help him is that remember early in his career he played nickel he was rotating in as the nickel corner before he burst onto the scene about halfway through 2017 became the other starter opposing Monquavian Brinson, full start of these last two seasons. So I think that even though he is billed as what could be a front-line corner, he can also play the nickel, which means he can play the dime, 
which means that there's a lot more flexibility with where you can put him with all those changing defenses as the NFL is going more spread now than I think it ever has. Speaking of Georgia Southern football, you will start to hear the pads start clanking today. Spring practice begins in the borough. You'll start to hear the pads clanking over at Paulson Stadium for spring ball. Again, it'll be a 4.30 to 6.30 practice tonight if you're listening to this on time. So go check out some spring ball and then hop on over to Hanner Fieldhouse. I'm for it. It's a full day of Eagle Athletics right there. This is the first step of good to great. You know, Georgia Southern's already had 11 mid-year guys enroll. Now they're going to get a chance to go on the field for organized workouts. But as we've covered with Coach Lunsford before, good to great just wasn't a philosophy and a mantra for the 2019 season. It is a consistent way of doing things, and similar to the way the GATA is. You just don't push it aside because the season's over. And you just don't push it aside because Georgia Southern only won seven games and only went back to a bowl game. Second straight year going to a bowl game for the first time ever. Good to great is going to mean something different in 2020 as we look at this as a season where the Eagles could really make some noise and maybe take their first East Division title. I know App State's going to be a stiff competition, but heck, Georgia Southern's handled them the last two years, right? Yeah. 11-1. and one. <laughs> Who's the one? Aw. Aw. Poor Cotton Bowl. Aww. That's all right. Aww. They'll get over it. Georgia Southern football starting off spring practice today. Georgia Southern women's basketball will be in action on Saturdays. They take on the Georgia State Panthers up on the third floor of the Georgia State Sports Arena. So another week where Danny was there last week and gets it ready for women's basketball. Tell him we said hi and do it with a smile. <laughs> 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 women's basketball will tip off at two o'clock up on the third floor and that's a game that can mean a whole heck of a lot for georgia southern women's basketball as you sit now georgia southern is in the nine spot texas state has jumped up to the 10 georgia state is technically in the 11th spot so that means you are in the tournament technically right now georgia southern women's basketball is in the tournament okay with one game to play it's against georgia state texas state who has been one of the hotter teams in the Sunbelt Conference as of late, they've jumped up into the Sunbelt Conference tournament in that final 10 spot. They have two games to play this week. They start off on Thursday against ULM. They finish up the regular season on Saturday in Lafayette. If they defeat the ULM Warhawks, who again only have one Sunbelt Conference victory, but that was against Texas State, if they defeat ULM, That means Saturday will come down to, if Georgia Southern wins, they are in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. If Georgia State wins, they are in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. So it's win or go home if Texas State defeats ULM on Thursday. But as we remember before, Georgia Southern, a very convincing Southern Knot State victory at Hanner over the Panthers as part of that doubleheader earlier this year back on the 25th of January. Did get the victory, but you've got Taylor Hosendove, the Clemson transfer, who was starting to battle the injury that she missed a couple of games with earlier on this season. So she's playing with it. She is fully back now. Oh, okay. And so she has been what has really led this Georgia State team the last couple of weeks. But something tells me that's going to be a rocking atmosphere up on that third floor. I'm still smiling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are. <laughs> Yeah. I, want, I want you to smile after next Saturday, and then you're going to come back. We're going to do some baseball, and then we're going to find out where Georgia Southern men's basketball is going to be playing the tournament. All right. Sounds that's good. that's my plan. I mean, we've made plans on this podcast. We don't always end up doing them the way that we plan them, but somehow it works out where they just get done anyway. Exactly. But Georgia Southern men's basketball will finish up the regular season in a game that means a pretty good amount to men's basketball as well. Mm-hmm. See. Arkansas State Red Wolves in Hanner Fieldhouse. They may be doing shoot-around right now as you listen on a Tuesday. Yeah, I need to go get my tie. (laughs) But tonight, as it will be a 7 o'clock tip-off inside Hanner Fieldhouse in a oddity of the Sunbelt Conference schedule, and I think this should be a part of the podcast every week, the strangeness (laughs) of the schedule this week. Sunbelt scheduling oddities. (laughs) But this is the first time... All around the Sunbelt Conference, everybody finishes up tonight. All six games are first and only regular season meetings. How does that happen? I don't know. I got questions. Don't know. But 
What you know about them Red Wolves, Danny Reed? They've been struggling. They've lost eight straight, but five of those losses have been by seven points or less. The last two have been one-possession losses. A weekend ago, they had first place Little Rock beat with less than a minute left in Jonesboro. Marquis Snow hit a crazy off-balance leaning three. Little Rock took the lead and didn't give it back. And then against the Raging Cajuns on Wednesday. So Arkansas State has not played for nearly a week. They've had a little bit of extra time, but they've had to travel to get into town. So they took a day to take care of that. But they were up 14 in the first half. They were shooting better than 50%. Cajuns were under 30%. But then the game turned in the second half. Pretty much the exact opposite happened. Except the Cajuns scored more points in the second half than Arkansas State did in the first half. And that's why Louisiana won by three. And that's why they've lost eight in a row. There was a point where Ark State was 15-7 and seven and 7-4 seven and four in the league. And I think Mike Bellotto was getting some consideration for Coach of the Year because he was in the middle of what is by far his best season. And I think to a degree this has been his best team. But you've just got the shadow of the eight-game losing streak where I don't think that they've been as bad as that, but you are what your record says you are. And Georgia Southern has to make them lose one more time on senior night if we can toss that in for the final regular season home game where the Eagles are going to get one more game in the tournament. But we're going to try to smush all this together. All right, seeding-wise, Georgia Southern is tied for third with South Alabama. If the Eagles win tonight... They can't finish any worse than fourth. Now, that means they could be three or four, but they can't finish any worse than fourth, which means that they would host a quarterfinal game at Hanner next Wednesday. They win that game. They go to the semis in New Orleans. Only the top four go to New Orleans after the bracket works itself out. If Georgia Southern wins and South Alabama wins, the Eagles are the four seed. South Alabama has the tiebreaker. They would finish tied. South Al swept the season series. If Georgia Southern wins and South Al loses, they play Texas State. Texas State's the number two seed at the moment. So if the Eagles win and South Al loses, Georgia Southern is the three seed. Now they could finish tied for second, but they lose tiebreakers with both Texas State and South Alabama. So that's why they would get the number three seed and still that they would play on Wednesday at Hanner, 730 tip. If Georgia Southern loses, it does not matter what South Alabama does. They go into this matchup tied. So the Eagles have to finish ahead of the Jaguars in order to earn a higher seed. So if they lose, it doesn't matter what the Jags do. Southall's going to get the higher seed anyway. Then you have to look at Georgia State because the Panthers dropped to the five after the Eagles beat them last Friday. If Georgia Southern loses and Georgia State wins over Little Rock on the third floor, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's going to get even more fun. If that happens, then Georgia State is the four seed. They would re-win that tiebreaker because they would have defeated the higher-seeded team, Georgia Southern drops to the five-seed. Now, why that matters is because we said before that the Eagles were going to play on Wednesday. Well, the five-six teams, they host, but they do so on Monday. So that would be a technically a second-round game. You would have to win that and then be on the road to face the number three or four-seed. So there is quite a benefit to finishing three or four because you get those two extra days. Finally, if Georgia State loses to Little Rock, it doesn't matter what Georgia Southern does. They are automatically a top four seed. So the Eagles can finish three, four, or five. But if they win tonight, they can take care of a lot of things. With as crazy as the schedule and the standings have been, that's about as easy as I think it could have been for Georgia Southern. Win and your top four lose and you need help wow what happened to the days where it was okay you win you're this you lose you're this what's still that it's just a little bit more drawn out because wow. of all the tiebreakers wow and arkansas state could finish as low as the 10 seed if they lose this game which means that they would play on saturday at the seven seed so regardless of what happens to them i think the highest they can finish is eighth they're going to be on the road somewhere on Saturday for the third straight time. And then they would have to go play a game at the 5-6. If they would win that, they'd have to go play at the 3-4. If they win that, they would then have to go to New Orleans. So you can see how finishing in the bottom four, the 7 through 10, it's not a fun party. I don't want to be that dobo that much, I can tell you. Senior night, though. Six seniors for Georgia Southern going to be honored before the tip. Jordan Walker, Isaiah Crawley, Trey Dawkins, Simeon Carter, David Lee Jones Jr., and Ike Smith. 
Beautiful. And three managers. Wow. So we may have to start that a little bit earlier. Because last year about an hour prior. Yeah, last year we had two players. We had Tukey Brown, Monte Glenn. And if you want to read all their accolades, that would have taken you a while. But these six guys, I mean, it's half the roster. And, you know, Ike's got a special place because he's been here for five years. He's had to come back from some things. But we've gotten to know Sim and Crawley and David Lee so well. It's a really, really special group of guys. And the way they're playing right now, I just hope they get a chance to just to keep playing. But a 7 o'clock tip-off tonight against Arkansas State to wrap up the regular season. Georgia Southern baseball will be in action. We mentioned two games in the midweek, both against the Georgia Bulldogs, who will enter the week 11-1, and ranked number four in the country. <laughs> That's all right. You only got to see them once this week. Yeah, then I got to see him again the next week. Well, depending on basketball, yeah, I may on miss basketball, him. you yeah. may or may not. That's true. But Georgia again, eleven and one. Five o'clock first pitch tonight. If you're listening to this on time on Tuesday from Foley Field in Athens. Tomorrow night on Wednesday, six thirty-five. The first pitch from SRP Park because you have to have a six thirty-five pitch to make it feel like a minor league game. Oh, oh yeah, lots of those. I could tell you a lot of stories about that. And then. Friday, 6.30, the first pitch against Valpo. 3 o'clock on Saturday and 1 o'clock on Sunday. But again, Georgia comes in number four in the country, expecting to see Garrett Brown in one of the two midweek games. The redshirt freshman on the mound for the Bulldogs out of Manchester, Georgia, the former Georgia dugout club Cy Young winner, but a guy that has handled Kennesaw State in his first two starts in the midweek. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> 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 but Georgia started off with a three-game series sweep of the Richmond Spiders, knocked off Kennesaw State on the first midweek, 10-3, to had a four-game series against Santa Clara where they took three out of four. Kennesaw State, the victory 15-1 to over the Owls last Tuesday and then this past weekend in a odd series over the weekend as they faced Georgia Tech. Normally it was a three-game midweek series right. where they would play one at Foley, one at Rush Chandler, and then one at either SunTrust Park or Turner Field. And it's a rotating site like Clemson and South Carolina have done for a few years. Same idea. They used to play it every year at Turner Field, but can't really do that anymore. Yeah, you'd have to watch out for the goalposts now, I guess, in the those cute little stands they have behind second base. Yeah. Sure. Take me out to I'm the sure. ball game. I'm sure Gordon Beckham would be fine with <laughs> stands at second base. But they played Georgia Tech at home at Foley Field on Friday. Got the victory 6-5. to Demolished Georgia Tech 12-0 at Rush Chandler Stadium in Atlanta. Then played at Cool Ray Field, the home of the Gwinnett Stripers, formerly the Gwinnett Braves, in Lawrenceville. But got the victory over Georgia Tech 9-3, to so swept the series against the Yellow Jackets this past week. But two coming up against Georgia Southern. Again, tonight, if you're listening to this on time, 5 o'clock the first pitch at Foley Field. Terry Harvin and I will have that one on GSEagles.com because of the conflict with Georgia Southern men's basketball. Men's basketball will be on the full network. We will be on GSEagles.com. Baseball will be back on the full network tomorrow, if you're listening to this on time. Wednesday, the 635 first pitch from SRP Park against University of Georgia as well. Danny Reed and I will have that one for you. And then Friday, it's Valpo. Saturday, it's Valpo. Sunday, it's Valpo. All across the network. Out of the Missouri Valley, Valpo Crusaders. This would be the first time that Georgia Southern has ever played Valpo. Well, how about that? So we'll get a chance to make some memories. Beautiful. Can't wait. Busy week continues, but we would have it no other way. For Beach the working. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Until this week, for the voice of the Eagles, Danny Reed, this is Colin Lacey saying so long, everybody. You've been listening to Inside Eagle Nation, powered by Learfield the official podcast of Georgia Southern Athletics.